Chapter Twelve of the Ghost Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ghost Ship by John C. Hutchison. Boat Ahoy. By the time the sun was near the meridian, our topmasts were up, and the upper yards swayed aloft and crossed, making the old barky. All at a unto again, and pretty nearly her old self. Our broken bulwarks and smashed skylight betraying the only damage done by the storm on deck, at all events. I calculate, Fawcett, as our Yankee friends would say, we may now cry spello. Observed the skipper, who was highly pleased with the progress made in refitting the ship. Tell the boatswain to pipe the hands to dinner. And you and I had better go up on the bridge and see what we can do in the way of determining our position on the chart. That gulf weed must have lost its bearings. I'm sure. It seems impossible to me that we could have drifted so far to the south as to bring us in the stream. An observation will soon settle that point, sir," replied the first mate, passing the word to Masters to knock off work. Run down, Haldane. And get my sextant for me. There's a good chap. I left it on the cabin table. Already, you'll find it there. Belay that," sang out the skipper as I started off towards the companionway. You may as well bring mine too while you're about it. Two heads are better than one, eh, Fawcett? Yes, sir. Perhaps so," rejoined the other before I got out of earshot. It seems though as if we're going to have three on the job. For here comes Mister O'Neill with his sextant under his arm, evidently bent on the same errand. I was soon back with the instrument for the other two, and presently all three were at work taking the sun's altitude and measuring off the angle made by the luminary with the horizon. A short delay ensued from our clocks being fast on account of our having drifted to the eastward of where they had last been set. Then all at once, Mister Fawcett sang out, "It's just noon, sir. Now the sun's crossing the meridian." All right, make it so," replied the skipper. "Bosun, strike eight bells." "Aye, aye, sir," came back from old Masters away forward, and then followed the melodious chime of the ship's bell that hung immediately under the beak of the forecastle. Ting, 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 ting. Now going into the wheelhouse, let us look at the chronometer and see what Greenwich time says, and then tot up our reckonings. The two others followed him into the little room on the bridge, sitting down to a table in which the track chart of the ship's course lay, and all were busy for some few moments calculating and working out our latitude and longitude. I was standing by the doorway after bringing up the correct time of the chronometers, which the skipper kept locked in his own cabin to prevent their being meddled with, and I could see he looked puzzled, adding up and subtracting his figures over and over again, as if he thought he must have made some error, though he found that invariably he came to the same results. Well, Fawcett, he cried at length, unable to restrain himself any longer. What do you make of it? Thirty-nine degrees twenty minutes north latitude, sir, and forty-seven degrees fifteen minutes west longitude. 
Faith and I make it the same, sir, also put in Gary O'Neill, the twain having worked out the reckoning long before the poor skipper. Both of us agree to the very minute, sir, leaving out the seconds, sir. By George, exclaimed the skipper, it's even worse than I thought. How, sir, asked Mr. Fawcett, with a smile on his face, no doubt chuckling to himself at being cleverer and wiser than Captain Applegarth, who would not believe we were in the Gulf Stream. Don't you think us right, sir? Oh, yes, Fawcett, I agree with you myself. The reckoning is right enough, but father is the devil to pay. The skipper couldn't sacrifice the joke, though he was terribly put out. See here, he continued, jabbing with great noise and force the compass with which he was measuring off our position into the chart as if that was in fault, while Fawcett and O'Neill laughed. Look at where we are. I shouldn't have thought it possible for us to have been driven so far south right into the Gulf Stream, as we are, for the current generally runs to the northeasterds below the banks. The stream has done it, though, sure enough, said Mr. Fawcett, that and the gale, for the one has drifted us to the coast, and the other pressed us down southwards, and between the two we're just fetched where we are, sir. Well, replied the skipper, shrugging his shoulders, you were right, Fawcett, and I was wrong this morning. Let me see, though, how we have fetched here, if we can trace our course so far from when we last took the sun. Sure, and that was Friday, the baste of a day, interposed Gary O'Neill, pointing to a place on the chart. I worked at the reckoning, and I put it down myself, marking it with a red pencil. Yes, here it is, 42 degrees, 35 minutes north latitude, and longitude 50 degrees, 10 minutes west, said the skipper. I worked it out also, on my own hook, and you and I tallied, if you recollect. Of course we did. The devil doubt it, sir, answered the second mate in his usual Irish fashion. Think, sir, we ran for five hours from that point on a west by south course, going between ten and twelve knots, for though I didn't say it myself, Mr. Fawcett told me the wind was freshening all the time, so that we must have traveled about sixty miles, more or less. So that brings us to this blue mark here. Yes, sir, to 42 degrees 28 minutes north and 51 degrees 12 minutes west. Then we sailed right before the wind due south? Sure, and we did the same after Mr. Haldane's will-o'-the-wisp for three hours, bedad. Oh, Mr. O'Neill, I pleaded, please leave me out of it. I'm sure I've seen and heard enough of the ship already. Be easy, my darling. It's only me fun, sure, and I mean you no harm, said he in his jocular way. Hurrah, how can I leave you out of the story when you're the whole hide and tail of it? Sure, and without ye there'd be none to tell. Yes, Captain dear, sure, and as I was saying when Haldane broke in upon me yarn, three hours on the southerly course brought us here, right where you see my little finger now. About 51 degrees 5 minutes west longitude and 41 degrees 40 minutes north latitude. How did you get this, huh? Faith, sir, the old moon looked so mighty pleasant that night that I took a lunar or two just to divert myself when Spokeshave went below and there was nobody left to poke fun at, sure. 
A very useful sort of amusement, said the skipper dryly. And I see, too, you've put in the distance we've run by dead reckoning, as about another fifty miles or so. Yes, sir. The bosun hove the log every half hour till the engines stopped, and he made out we were going sixteen knots and more. Bedad, so he said, when we were running before the wind with full steam on. That was very likely, O'Neill, replied the skipper, but after that we altered course again, you know. In course we did, sir, and you'll see it marked right down there on that line. We then sailed west, a quarter south by compass, close hauled on the starboard track, for two hours longer after you altered course again and bore up to the westward, keeping on till the engines broke down. Bad case to them, sir. When was that? asked the skipper slowly. I was so worried and flurried at the moment that I forgot to take the time. Four bells into the first watch, sir, replied the Irishman quickly. It was after we'd brought up poor Jackson from below. As Stoddard, the engineer, Faith, was sitting near, just before me attending to the poor chap in the cabin, when the rush of steam came flying up the hatchway, Faith, and the screw stopped. We both of us looked at the saloon clock on the instant, sure, and saw the time, sir. That is the last mark on the chart, then, said the old skipper, meaningly, pencil and compass in hand, and still bending over the telltale track map, spread out on the wheelhouse table. Since that, nobody knows how we drifted. Faith no one, sir, returned Gary O'Neill, thinking the question was addressed to him. Only perhaps the Pope, God bless him, or the Emperor of Cheney. All laughed at this, Captain Applegarth. Now losing his preoccupied air, as if there was nothing to be gained, he thought, by dwelling any longer on the past. It was wonderful, though, how we had drifted in the short interval, comparatively, that had elapsed since we became disabled. As Mr. Fawcett had been the first to find out in the morning, the Gulf Stream, that great river that runs a course of some two thousand miles in the middle of the ocean, keeping itself perfectly distinct from the surrounding waters through which it flows, from its inception as a current in the Caribbean Sea to its final disposal in the North Atlantic, had first carried us in an easterly direction after we had broken down so utterly, while the strong northwesterly gale, aided probably by the Arctic current running due south from the polar regions, and which disputes the right-of-way with the Gulf Stream, some little distance to the southwards of the great banks of Newfoundland, had pressed upon the helpless hull of the Star of the North, bearing her away whither they pleased. So unable to resist either the winds or the waves, these combined forces had driven her off her course at an oblique angle, thus converting the northeasterly or easterly drift proper of the Gulf Stream into a true southwesterly one, taking us from latitude 41 degrees 30 minutes north and longitude 51 degrees 40 minutes west, where we were on the previous Friday night, when we were forced to lie to, to our present position on the chart. To put the case more concisely, the star of the north had been carried from the distance of four degrees and a half exactly of longitude backward on her outward track to New York, and some two degrees or thereabouts to the southwards placing us as nearly as possible 
in the position the skipper had already indicated, a direction of some 500 miles more or less from our proper course, and about midway between Bermuda and the Azores, or Western Islands. While Captain Applegarth was explaining this, as much for my benefit and instruction, I believe, as anything, a thought occurred to me. Are we not now, sir, in the track of all the homeward-bound ships sailing on the Great Circle from the West Indies and South American ports? The skipper looked at me steadily, smelling a rat at once. I suppose, Haldane, he said somewhat sternly, you want me to get back to that infernal ship again. Not if I know it, my lad. As you told Mr. O'Neill just now, we've all had enough and to spare of that vessel and the wild goose chase she has led us from the first to the last. I won't hear another word about her by Jingo. Just then old Masters, who had gone up into the foretop to set something right which had struck his sailor eye as not being altogether as it should be aboard the North Star, raised his arm to attract the attention of those on deck below him. "'Hello there, Bosun,' called out the skipper, seeing him, for he seldom kept his glasses away from the rigging of the ship and things aloft. "'What's the row, huh?' "'I see something to the windward, sir.' "'By George,' exclaimed the skipper, in a tone that made everyone laugh who heard, all but masters, the coincidence was so comical after what Captain Applegarth had said only a minute before. "'Not another ghost ship, I hope.' "'No, sir,' growled the boatswain rather savagely. "'It being no ghost ship this time, though she ain't far off, I knows to my thinkin'.' He added the last words as if speaking to himself, but I heard him, and his remark stopped my mirth instanter. "'What is it, boatswain, that you do see, then?' cried the skipper impatiently. "'That is, if you see anything at all, beyond some vision of your own imagination.' I ain't dreamin', hailed back old Masters, not quite catching what he said. I see something as plain as possible out to the windward, and it be driftin' down athwart our hawser, too, Captain. Why, hello, I'm blessed. Boat ahoy! End of chapter 12. Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas.